Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. We're talking about food science, quality control, and the relationship to beer with Eric Tennant, the founder and master brewer of Virginia's Benchtop Brewing. We'll get into it in a moment, but first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. And there you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer, where you can help keep the content fresh. A few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And there's even a pro-tier subscription for professional breweries and brewing industry companies. If you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Occasionally, beer gets sent to the home office here, and on the afternoons when the schedule is clear and I'm in the mood for some refreshment, I open a few and let my mind wander. A recent box from Benchtop Brewing in Virginia got my taste buds and mind working overtime in the best possible way. So I asked Eric Tennant, the founder of the brewery, to come on the show. He's a native of North Carolina and an NC State alumni with a bachelor's degree in food science. After 15 years in the food and beverage industry as an R&D scientist, where he created a U.S. patented process for a major food manufacturer, he decided he was going to go open up a brewery. During those years that he was working as a food scientist, he was focusing on quality control, process improvements, and consumer insights field. So when he did eventually leave the food industry, he was able to apply that technical skill and knowledge to producing delicious, innovative, and many times culinary-inspired beers. He spoke to me from Virginia. Here's our conversation. I always love talking with brewers that come from a proper scientific background um, because I think it adds just it adds a great deal to to the thought process and then the, the final execution of, of the beers. I was reading on the website that in your bio uh, saying that you, you spent years in the research development, quality control process improvement and consumer insights field where you gain the experience needed to open a brewery. Can you unpack that? I mean, there's a lot there, but yeah. Yeah, all of you know, those we, things and reading all of those things, I was like, yeah, this makes sense drinking your beers. Yeah. So, you know, and when we when we did the website, it was like they asked me about the background. And so that was like the condensed version because, you know, I could go on forever about like what it was. But I'll, I'll try to keep it somewhat concise, but still elaborate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I have a uh, bachelor's degree in food science and. I started in the um, food world, I guess, back in uh, 2001. Um, so I did many, you know, different jobs throughout, but mostly it was in the world of um, innovation, product development, research and development. So, so like the last, especially the last ten years. So, so in most of that is. Uh, you know, we would kind of determine where there's a gap in the in the marketplace where we can where we think there's a consumer need that's not being met, and we would come up with a concept. Um, we would test that concept with consumers and see, 
you know, is this, is this something you're likely to buy? Is this something that you are interested in? Um, and then we would get, you know, maybe we would have to fine tune that a little bit. And then, and then I would start creating prototypes and then we would send the prototype back and we would let them evaluate, you know, in, during consumer learning tests, we would let them evaluate the prototype and score it on its own, but also score it against the initial concept. Is it something, does this deliver on what we said we were trying to do? And then, you know, we may fine tune things along the way. And then um, from there, we just keep keep uh, tweaking. And, and eventually, I'm producing prototypes, let's say, in, in I was in uh, ferment, the fermented meat world. So I did a lot of work on pepperoni. And that's kind of where I learned about a lot about fermentation, pepperoni, salami, those types of things. Uh, so we would then develop, say, uh, a 50-pound test batch and we would evaluate with business development and um, marketing and whatnot, and then take it back to the consumers and have them evaluate. And then eventually I would go out and scale it up to 10, 20,000 pound batches at one of our manufacturing (laughs) plants. And, you know, it would be distributed all over the country or world. And so when I went to look into opening the brewery, it was like, you know, back in, in uh, 2000, nine, I started brewing in my garage and and I realized immediately that it was the same thing, just a different medium. So I had bought all these textbooks and really like geeked out on it. And um, so I was thinking, well, I mean, me scaling up from my seven gallon homebrew batches to seven barrel, uh, seven barrel batches here at the brewery was really not intimidating for me. Um, So that was kind of like, that that's how I I, get, I had the the confidence going in. Yeah, that we would be good at it. I I mean I I one I just I find that that scalability um so 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 fascinating um but that consumer preference part of it of going out there and and looking for what does the market need does it really need it and then how would people want it how have you applied that to the beers that you're now making you know are you are you trying to anticipate consumer needs in advance are you like i know you're spending a lot of time on loggers these days and there's a big conversation um in the craft space when it comes to loggers um but then there's also a you know huge conversation on well we need more beers with candy in them um right. you know, where does that where does that consumer element from your past come into your present i mean I, I, on the smallest scale it's like when we first you know so we when we opened the brewery with the tasting room my original my, my thought was well you know we used to pay all these thousands of dollars for consumer learning tests well now i can make a seven barrel batch and i can release it in the tasting room and i can you know talk to people i can also you know sales dollars speak you know so if we have different variants of a of a different uh, different beers we can kind of see what what people are interested in which ones are are worth keeping and so it's it's a kind of a combination of seeing what you know, we'll brew a beer a couple of times, usually on, on a seven barrel batch uh, for draft before we start scaling it to cans, um, especially in the beginning. Now we kind of we're a little more bold in that way where we'll just we have a pretty good educated guess. And so we'll go with that. But 
um, it's a combination of seeing what people are, are interested in in our tasting room and then just always keeping my ears open to seeing what it seems that people are interested in. And so that was kind of like, you know, what are the what are the levers we can pull that that make things appealing to people? Can you give an example of that? Like, I, I, I guess you can look at numbers wise, you can look at, um, you know, pints being passed across the bar. Um, uh, and I think anybody can 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 sort of extrapolate that out, out over time. But um, what are some of those levers that you're pulling? What are some of the other traits that you've learned or tricks that you've learned or just insights to help give just maybe that next layer of context or that next layer of like, Oh, wow, we might be onto something or maybe now it's just time to cut this loose. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's been some beers that we've made where we, we thought we had done our homework on, on this. And we thought like, this is definitely going to be what, what, people want and and then you know it it and everyone we all love it you know whatever and and then we set we we release it and it's like it it doesn't it doesn't sell as fast as i would thought i would have thought it would have or vice versa we'll have a beer where we're like you know this is solid but like you know it we don't think it's like lighting lighting the world on, on fire but then people like drink a whole lot of it so it's like trying to uh trying to kind of predict that a little bit but you know we've we've kind of seen that with um in the the ipa realm you know where early on we were uh trying to make ipas one way and and you know maybe maybe you're trying to make them hazier and juicier and these these things that that people are are interested in but you know our flagship one is not that it's much more of a um it's much more of like it's a hazy ipa that finishes dry and 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 more a little bit bitter Mm -hmm. and so we kind of found that like that was a thing that was more appealing to people than we thought we just thought this is just something we like to do um so we've kind of dug in on on more variants of that style of beer versus ones that would you would perceivably think that people would be more interested in just based yeah. on what everyone else is doing. Is I, I keep in the back of my mind, I keep going back to this pepperoni thing. Right. And I was thinking about the last time I was walking through a grocery store and you, um, you get to the, to the preserved meats aisle and there are all different flavors that exist out there. And I guess if you, if you, you know, you can have the you know, extra spicy or the teriyaki or, you know, whatever it's going to be um, that maybe move the needle for a little bit. Um, and then I started thinking about, you know, in the beer world for a long time, the conversation was always what's new, what's rare, what's local. Um, but the new thing was killing beer for a while where consumers were so, and drinkers were so trained to walk in and expect something unexpected or expect something that they had never seen before. And brewers were getting burnt out on that. Right. Um, from, from, from the food science background, from the, from the psychology background of that, uh, or the, you know, conditioning people to be looking out for something new and shiny versus the, the reliable classic that they'll probably go back to. 
at some point. Um, how, how did you find ways of, of managing those two lanes? Yeah. I mean, Does that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially when everything kind of shut down, um, you know, for COVID and, and it, that really amped up the pressure for people to um, innovate. And, and it's like for that summer, I think for, or, or even for like nine months, I mean, I don't, we, we made, it was always a new beer. Like every week it was something brand new. I don't know. It was the most new beers we'd ever done. Cause it was this, it, this seeming pressure that that's what people were looking for this new exciting thing. And, and, you know, trying to manage that. But like you said, that, that does get, that will certainly burn you out to keep trying to do that when, I mean, how many times can you reinvent something that's quite similar? Um, so, you know, now I think it's like, we've kind of realized that if we have, you know, we don't need so many of those new beers. We, we, we need to know, we need people to know that they can come here and they can get our flagship IPA and they can get our flagship Pilsner, you know, on the side pole. And those things are always going to be there. So they'll come in and, you know, they'll ask, you know, what's new this week? And they might try, you know, they'll try a glass of that, but then they're going to have three glasses of, of lager in a mug. So it's like, we've kind of found that like, let's keep those new offerings to a smaller percentage of what we have and, and try to appeal to more people's like comfort zone beers, if you will. Yeah. And that, do, do you find that that, that's the right balance, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I maybe, I I, so. yeah, I don't know. I think so. I mean, I think at some point it's like when people have too many choices, it becomes overwhelming. Also, it's like we have 14 taps. And if, if like 12 of them are different than they were a month ago, that, that becomes a little bit, um, not only a little bit intimidating for people, but then you, you you do have a large segment of the population that, you know, likes familiar and comfortable. And so it's like, if they, they found something they really like, you know, and, and they don't know that they can come back and get it, then they're not too happy about that. You know, it's like, but we, we have that occasionally with, with beers that are new or, or beers that rotate that are quite popular and people come back. Well, I don't understand why you don't have this on tap now. I'm like, well, we can't have all of them on tap all the time. So, you know, that, yeah. it's a balancing act. When you were thinking about food items to, to bring to the market, um, where were you looking for inspiration flavor wise? What was, what was driving a lot of those conversations and, you know, and then I'll sort of bring that back to beer. Yeah. I mean, usually you'd see, like you, you'd see the high end restaurants oftentimes was like, is where something is, is vetted out. Like where this new innovative uh, food or way of food preparation is starting, but it's not mainstream yet. It's just, you know, on a much higher level. And then, if it, and then it sort of trickles its way down, you know, so we would be looking there. We'd be looking for these people that are innovating flavors on that level um, and then eventually that gets kind of by the time it gets to a much like more mainstream thing, it's definitely been usually it's been um, diluted to some degree just to be 
just because once you have a, someone manufacturing a lot of anything, they're, they're looking for like, how can I make something that less people dislike rather than more people really like, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like that's, the, that's what's driving those decisions. It's like they, you know, being conservative. So we would look, we would look there, you know, what's, what's the next, um, Gochujang, you know, that kind of thing and try to figure out how can we uh, apply that to something we're making that we're selling to Walmart, you know? So it's like that in the beer world, we're still, you know, I'll still like to look at it's it more in the, in the world of like sour beers, I think is where it's more applicable, where we'll look at like new, um, new trends, new flavor combinations. And then, and then maybe we can play off of that a little bit. I mean, it's a little more cut and dry in the, in the world of lager, but yeah. But don't you, when, when you're thinking about, you know, culinary beers, right. Aren't you now that high-end restaurant, that creative outlet, like you have that ability to be on that side of not necessarily looking for, you know, the, the trends maybe of, but now you can be the innovation center. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I, that would be, that would be ideal and that would be the aspiration. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that's where, and I feel like, you know, in our local market that, that we have earned, you know, we have our consumers, uh, customers trust in that way where we will come out with some things and, and they just, you know, it might sound like an odd combination, but there, there's a trust there that like, well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't put it out to you. If, if we didn't, it may not be something that everyone loves, but it's, it is what we said it is. Yeah. What's a good example of that? Um, we do a, uh, we do a, uh, uh, a Goza here that's uh called uh quick pickle it's carrots and cucumbers and it's kind of bizarre huh. it's so it's based off of like the um the quick pickling um culinary te- technique not pickles right <laughs> so so that was the big confusion early on when we released it we were like well i don't want a pickle beer it's like well just give it a chance it's like fresh cucumber and you know some sweetness and earthiness from the carrots and it's a sour beer and, and it works and you know so people as soon as they tasted it they're like wow it's like the most refreshing summer beer you know but it it took a minute for them to buy into that um similarly with like we've done some some different things with with our lager program where you know um we kind of took the idea of like the kvass uh you know bread beer to a, and applied that to the world of like a, a bready multi lager where we're actually using bread from a local bakery and putting it in the mash tun um and and kind of really trying to develop that you know that most extreme like toasty crusty bread flavor in a, in a hell's type beer um so we're kind of trying to appeal to the people that are looking for a more traditional type lager but also people that are looking for something that's different and innovative i dig that um how I want, I, I want to sort of dial in on that a little bit. Seasonality, how, how important has that been for, for the brewery? Like we're, you know, you're talking about you know, summer refreshing and, and we're just at the beginning of, of the summer season now uh, as we're recording this. Um, how important 
is it that the beers match the season in your mind? Um, you know, there's only, a, I think there's really only a handful of them that are really subjected to that, you know, like, um, our Kolsch doesn't do so great in the wintertime. Um, some of these beers, like I was saying, like the, the culinary inspired beers, well, those are, those are only using ingredients that are available in that season. So they're, they're mm-hmm. just, that's where they're segmented, but like, you know, the, the whole like dark beer season thing, like. That I feel like that has largely gone away. There's a lot of people that when I mean, we have guys that come in every Friday and they we have a, a porter called Walter's Brunch and it's coffee, chocolate, maple. Um, and it's only about 7%. So it's not a huge beer, but it's still like when it's 95 degrees outside, it's not really what I want. Um, but that's what they want every Friday. They, that's the beer. And so it's like it. And we've kind of seen like the same thing with some of the dark lagers and um, and whatnot, where people are people drink them all year round and people drink our, our Pilsner all year round. So, but there are a few styles that we're like, yeah, we're pretty bold to brew like a lot of Kolsch in January, you know? So. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your lager program. Uh, cause, cause I know you're, uh, you're, you're doing some cool things with it and you're, you're thinking about it from, I guess both the traditional, but also, you know, an analytical and uh, innovative way. I, I like that, that uh, Kvass um, uh, uh, thread that, 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 that you started. Um, where do you see the innovation in loggers right now? Or where would you like to see it go? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of, for logger, a lot of it's going to be, more process driven i feel um in, in people really kind of trying to evaluate you know because you see you know we started doing more like decoction mashing and things like that and mm-hmm. and originally you know as for coming from a scientist perspective i was like why would i do that like i have a i have a mash <laughs> ton of steam jackets that's perfectly acceptable and i can hit all the steps that will activate all the enzymes i want so why 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 try that so, stuff like that but i think it's like people evaluating like which parts of old world tradition, you know, really uh, deliver things that you can't otherwise get and which parts of them are just, you know, well, we just did it that way because that's why we had to do it. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I think it's kind of deciphering that. And one of the things that's been really exciting to me of late is, is the, the craft maltsters that are, that are kind of uh, really dialing in like, trying to bring back some of the old world varieties and things. And, and, and so we can kind of create those, recreate some of those beers, uh, a different spin on them now. Yeah. What, um, what have you been tasting um, from some of the craft maltsters that is moving that inspiration needle for you? Um, well, last year was, was uh, the, uh, the, the Edelweiss malt that we got from uh, Sugar Creek. That, yep. You know, we saw we saw a handful of breweries playing with it, and we're like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." But I had never done a, a, a any decoction brewing here, um, but I, was, I I'd always kind of considered it. So we just figured, well, we're just gonna we're just gonna get some, and and uh, then we're gonna be committed. Um, and so that's <laughs> what we did, and we just we were like, "Okay, we're gonna figure out how to do this," and you know, and talk to some friends in the industry about different ways of doing it. Um, you know, we talked to Todd and he, he had his, his 
super like his 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 method is pretty intense you know we're like well let's how, how can is we that, do it is that todd dimatteo yes yeah okay and and uh you know i got some insights from him and some other people and and we kind of figured settled on a way that made sense for us because we have a two vessel brew house and i mean it's not we're not set up to do that that way but we figured out a way we we've been able to do it in a way that's not um, incredibly painful. So, so, we, so we basically, you know, we got these, these under modified malts in and the, and the first times, first time we did it, um, we hit the numbers pretty much on the head the first time it was a long day, but now we've gotten a little more efficient with it, but we figured out right away that like some of those beers were, were just hitting different, you know, they were dropping bright faster. Um, they had a Christmas crispness to them that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting more of like, you know, the, the flavor development from the boiling, I was expecting that to be present, but I wasn't expecting on, on the super light beers to, to, I feel like it made them even a little more refreshing. Huh. Um, because you're paying attention to this, what was consumer response like? Well, so, so that was the thing is, <laughs> and as I, as I, you know, I promised originally I talked to the, my, my brewers and I was like, look, we're just we're going to vet this out. We'll see if if we want to see if if this is worth the squeeze, you know, for us. And if it is, then eventually we'll have to invest in a mash mixer and do some other things. But but, you know, with the first batch we did, we sold more. Even with our flagship lager being on at the same time, we sold that entire batch in like 10 days with no distribution just to the tasting room. And it was by far the fastest we've sold any lager. Wow. And I was like, I mean, we also, we did some pretty cool things with the branding on it that probably helped too, but I, I do feel that it was the beer, you know? And so like right away we we're like, all right, well, this is, this is the way for us now. So we're, we're doing all of them in a, in a similar, you know, we've kind of tweaked them along the way, but it made sense. Yeah. And it continues to, perform in the way that you want it to absolutely yeah yeah i mean you know we we had i had always like shied away from making like uh amber like red type lagers mm -hmm. uh, mostly because i don't really like sweet things i'm a i like bitter things you know and so um i i like a i like a dark a tamave or a, a schwartz or something and i like crispy pilsners but in between i was always like caramel mall you know it's not really my thing um but we made one that I felt we added a little bit of like chocolate malt, a little bit of roast to it to kind of balance out the sweetness and still kept it like rich, but, but fairly dry. Um, and it sold way better than I thought it would. I mean, I was blown away at how quickly we, and we've already made another batch of it because it, we've just found that like, we just kind of dug in on, well, Pilsner sells better than not non Pilsner lager. Right. And, right. and um, I was kind of wrong about that. It's like having that, having that, differentiate you know that different beer um in the mix is certainly people are are excited about it that's true i mean I, are you continuously surprised by what people are going for yeah i would say that that i i am um because even going back to your you know like you know, food science days as well. Like I imagine that there's certain things that you put the time and the research into and you're like, okay, this will probably do well. And then either it takes off or it just kind of sits there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the world of food innovation, a lot of times 
it was like, if you didn't have the right marketing behind it, you know, it's like it, if you, if you do something that's truly innovative, then, then oftentimes people aren't really ready for it until they're educated about what you're trying to do. So it's like, there's a lot of marketing spend to make that work. And, you know, um, I, I don't think in the, in the beer world, that's quite the same, but it, it, there are some parallels, I think. Well, I, when you were talking about um, the Edelweiss and you're, you're, you're doing, you know, you're putting a beer out there and you said you did some marketing behind it and then it sold really well. Um, what was, what was the marketing? Because I, I, this is something that I think folks who are using craft malt um, have struggled with a little bit um, and that craft in general um, still needs to step up its education game to, to get that excitement built around knowledge um, and then follow through in, in taste. So, so going back to that beer, then what were those marketing initiatives? What were those ways of getting, getting people into it so that it sold as much as it did in that 10 day period? Um, I think for, for starters, it was, we, we came out with a, with a, a whole new like label concept that's that draws off of like the our our lucre tower and we had a local artist do that and it turned out fantastic and and so like the look of it was just different and and so in the package form that i know that that helped also you know we there's something to be said for you know telling the story of of the malt and the process and like hey this is only available in the tasting room and and that's not something we normally do anymore, you right. know? So it's like, when we say that, and then I think then people are like, Oh, well, I better, you know, this, this is going to be gone. You know, it's that kind of thing that they're, they're going to miss out on it. Um, so I think that that's part of it. I mean, I don't know how much, you know, cause we've, we've gotten to the point, you know, it's like now we'll, if we release a few beers in a week and we release an IPA and I'm like, yeah, it's not, I'm on social media. This is the IPA with, you know, Citra and Galaxy and, you know, there's a couple <laughs> words about it or whatever. And then, then it's like a novel about this process and this passion and nuance for these loggers. And I don't know people, I don't know how much people are really reading the whole thing or uh, if they become deaf to it after a while. But um, I think it, I think some of those things do help just, just creating a, a story that's, that's unique to the, the, the product. Yeah. And I mean, it, it that also helps with, um, but you also, I, I guess I, I, to back up, getting that information out there, this can't be pages and pages and pages of reading material, right? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking again, like walking through the grocery store where there's you know, something that says new on it or bolder flavor or some sort of like generic term that like brings me in and that maybe I'll have, you know, a couple of seconds to read label copy, but that's enough to sort of get somebody over the hump um to 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 make that purchase decision um and i wonder if you know oftentimes it's and i'm probably guilty of this of you want to talk to somebody about craft malt for an hour and a half but they have maybe 15 seconds of time um is 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 that is that accurate is that like a fair time frame of making an impression as quickly as possible uh in the in the packaged format yeah um, it, yeah for sure i mean it's like um 
people do a lot of walking by, you know, like, like window shopping, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was some of the feedback we got early on. All of our labels were very simple, very clean. It was a different variation of our main logo. And, and, you know, that worked well for a while, but that was the feedback we were getting was, you know, people at a glance, people like, Oh, I've had that before. I'm like, well, it's different. It's a different color, but, but, you know, um, now we've found more value in creating those distinctly different brands from an appearance standpoint where it's like people see it and like, Oh, that's something different, you know? Um, and so, so it helps to sell it, you know, at least get it in their hand, you know, the first time. Yeah. So where is your, where's your, your current interest with your lager program? Where's, where's that hopefully leading you and the brewing team right now? Um, yeah, so we've, we've kind of started, um, we, you know, a couple years ago, we, we really, uh, delved into food or lager. And so we bought, we installed two 13 barrel horizontal fooders with cooling plates in them. And cause I was nice. just kind of fascinated with the idea of like taking the old world, you know, cellared in wood lager idea and, and spinning that forward to utilizing new technology and um and so like that's now the oak that we use i mean it's fairly neutral so it's really just adding nuance to it a little bit up to the mouthfeel i think there's not a whole lot of oak flavor anymore but um i still think it's worthwhile because it does add some a little bit of richness richness to the beer Mm -hmm. um but in the past six months we've we've been you know so we've had a tank dedicated a, a, a 14 barrel 15 barrel fermenter dedicated to just every two weeks making a lager that's going into one of these fooders. And, you know, so it's about eight weeks of tank time for every one of them. But in the past, you know, six months or so that we've been delving into, like now we have, we are also have dedicated a seven barrel tank that is going to get single and double decoctions and it's going to see all stainless. And so we've really been kind of exploring that and then doing a mixture of, of that and doing some side by side, same versions in oak and really kind of trying to figure out um which one we like the most you know all right so because i mean ultimately that comes down to 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 preference right of which one you're going to like over you know one version or 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 the other um but from your analytical brain and from 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 your past like what are like how do you how do you evaluate that process like how do you start you know, when you have these two side by side, ultimately deciding which is the, you know, quote unquote, better of the two. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's just a matter of sensory, you know, then it can be fairly, um, hopefully it can be fairly objective if you, you know, if you do that the right way. But if you're also looking at like efficiency and, and, you know, all those things, then, then the, those factor in also. It's like the 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 maintenance of the wood and all these things. It's like, can we make if we do it in all stainless? Uh, is it are we? What are we feel like we're losing? Um, and how do we want to? Which one do we really want to to uh, hitch to? Or, I mean, I'm in in an ideal scenario. They both have value in different ways so like we'll we'll just have 
we'll split these brands off into different directions and and then you know hopefully that's something that people will be drawn to for each for its own merit i like that um when you're thinking about then diversity of the beers on offer, right? You're talking about 14 taps earlier. Have you found a balance of what's on offer that works for both the people walking through your door, but also for, for the brewery itself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like I was saying earlier, we've, we've kind of, you know, switched a little bit in that, trying to find a little more structure in that rotation of beers where, you know, we found that like, you know, the West coast IPA has become much more popular. And, and even like the, we have, we do like a hoppy red beer that's been quite popular. Um, so it's like having a little more structure and saying, all right, well, we're going to have, if of this, this category of beer, we're going to have at least one of these on, on tap all the time. The same thing with like, you know, so we, so we have like, if we divide out our taps into forts that, that we're kind of like intentionally rotating similar styles through, through these groups of taps, rather than just, you know, making what we think at the time we can sell the most of the fastest, but, but just kind of trying to uh, guide people in a, in a direction of like, these are the, the kind of base styles that we're, that we're trying to push or not even trying to push, but just trying to, you know, fill the, the, the need of, of people, you know, people's desire to like, for example, in the, in the West coast spirits, like we, that was something we did kind of periodically. And now we found like, man, if we have one of these on draft all the time, we can sell quite a bit of it. So it's like, let's, let's keep doing that. Uh, yes. Let's also, yes. We need more West coast in general as well, though. Um, uh, can I talk, uh, can I ask you about how, based on your background, you approach quality in the brew house and in the final product? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, from the quality perspective, it's like one of the things um, that I was trained on quite a bit was, was you know, looking for things like, root cause analysis and, and, and looking for things that paying attention to details, I guess, on the simplest uh, form. So like really making, you know, really paying attention to the details of every step of the process and making sure that things are done in the most, uh, you want to be innovative, but consistency is, is the king of, of, you know, what, meeting people's expectations, you know? So it's like, um, we're extremely, I'm extremely rigid on, you know, the, the amount of data that's measured, you know, from fermentation. Um, and that like, you know, so like our, our IPA, um, it has to, we have to harvest the yeast on the same day in the process every time. And it has to be within this range of gravity and it, all, all these things have to be done in a, in a way that it's it's so it's the same every time and so no like, to me that's yeah yeah so to me that's like 
hugely important. Whereas, you know, some places might say, well, it's, it's Sunday. Do we really want to, you know, harvest yeast and dry hop this beer? We, it could wait till Monday. I mean, could it? Yeah. Would it, would it negatively affect the beer? Probably not. But I know that we have a way that's, that's a proven, you know, that's kind of uh, in going back to the, the food quality training was, was kind of like people would say, well, I, I didn't do it the way you told me to. And it turned out fine. I said, well, that might be true eight times out of 10, but those two times are going to be pretty bad. So like, why not control everything you can control? Cause there's always going to be variables that, that you can't. And so that's been, that's been my mantra here is like everything we, we do everything we can to make the beer better and everything we can control, we do control because otherwise you, you know, there's always going to be those things you're, that are unexpected, you know? I, I, I wish more brewers were talking about their processes, their, their, their commitment to it and the way that you just did. Um, and I know that there are a lot out there, but I wish that there were, um, there were more. And it certainly shows in, um, you were nice enough to send a box of beer up and, and, and I've been, uh, making my way through it and enjoying it. And, um, it comes through what you just said comes through in, um, in your beers. So, um, I hope people are listening and paying attention. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, we, I think that's one of the things that early on, it, you know, that, that made a difference for us is that, you know, when I was not only, you know, being a brewer and being a de- an owner decision maker that, you know, you're, you have a different level of, you know, being vested in, in the product and just at, from a innovation and, and perspective and quality perspective, it's just, like, why do it if you're not going to do it the best that you possibly can? Like, otherwise, I could just do something else, you know? Yeah. Being mindful of your time, uh, I wanted to ask you the green door question. Of uh, On the show, I've been asking folks for, for quite a while now. Um, the premise being uh, the television show, The Good Place, has a, and the final season introduces the concept of the green door, where the characters can walk through and be wherever they want, doing whatever they want. Um, and so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be in any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Oh, well, um, you know, I think I would, I would probably uh, go back to Prague. Um, my experience there was uh, was was inspirational, to say the least. Um, you know, going to uh, there was there was a pub there, uh, local, I think is what it was called. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Um, and and it was uh, it was phenomenal, and I believe they were. You know, that was in, uh, I believe that was a Pilsner Raquel house. Uh, but we also really enjoyed the butt of our houses. But that we happened to be there in, um, you know, October, the is either October, November, but there's one month where they served it, they served the uh, unfiltered, unpasteurized version of it. 
okay. everywhere for, for a month. So if I could go, I would, I would be sitting there enjoying uh, a couple of pints of that for sure. Um, Cause that's, that's kind of a transcendent, transcendent thing for me. I like that. Um, is that something you think you could recreate at the brewery over time at your brewery? I mean, I, I hope, so. <laughs> I hope so. Am I giving you? Am I giving you ideas now? Is this? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> when, when we created our our Richmond space, we we kind of tried to use some of that inspiration where we put the liquor tower in, and you know, yeah, uh, we, we we kind of tried to 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 do that. But honestly, like, I don't think I could be in in a in a business that I own and and it be my green door because uh, otherwise, because someone's going to eventually ask me to do something. So. That's right. <laughs> um, Eric, thanks for taking the time this week and thanks for um uh for for the beers and they they were a real pleasure to drink and just um um I love hearing about the 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 approach of the brewery and I hope we can uh clink glasses in, in person at some point soon. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Make sure you get to Benchtop next time you're in Virginia or check them out online or on social media. What's on your mind, beer-wise? Email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. You can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com where you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read about great new content as well as all of our archives going back to 1979. Don't forget, you can follow All About Beer on social media as well, at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. One more time, don't forget All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer still has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>